0: If you would like us as a church to pray for you, please email prayer at springmouth.church Or sign up on our website for monthly news straight to your inbox. Good morning everyone. It's uh, lovely to be with you. It's probably feeling like the afternoon, because having lost that hour. But anyway... Um, It is great to be with you. Uh, I love being here at Springmount and uh, sharing with you. I have to say, Johnny did a great job last week in Hartlepool. He also played, (laughs) so we uh, we really worked him hard. So you just be grateful that you don't have to put up with me trying to lead your worship this morning. But anyway, it's great to be with you. uh, um, It was Paul who pointed out that. the title, One Hit Wonders, is a bit of a threat to a good to a preacher when they come visiting the speaker as a speaker, um, but uh, that's the title of your series. Uh, I was offered Ehud, who you is a left-handed uh, assassin, uh, and uh, I decided to go for Ananias. So we're in Acts, uh, Acts chapter 9, verses uh, 1 to 19. So... This is the story of the conversion of Saul. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest, he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them both men and women back to Jerusalem in chains. And as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless for they heard the sound of someone's voice but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground but when he opened his eyes he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus, and it's important to note that uh, where it says believer, the word is actually disciple. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord spoke to him in a vision calling, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas, and when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized and afterwards he ate some food and regained his strength. Now I just want also to read um, three verses in chapter 22 of Acts. Uh, Verse 11 through to 13, this is um, where Saul, now Paul, is uh, giving a defense or an explanation to Jewish uh, leaders. And so he recounting his conversion, I was blinded by the intense light and had to be led by the hand to Damascus by my companions. A man named Ananias lived there. He was a godly man, deeply devoted to the law and well regarded by all the Jews of Damascus. He came and stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight, and that very moment I could see him." Okay, well, one of my favorite films is called uh, Hidden Figures. Some of you might uh, have seen this film, recognize it, it's a few years ago, and it tells the story of three African-American women who in different ways were all involved in the space program. Uh, So this is set kind of in the early 1960s. and. There's one lady in particular who was involved in working out the maths that would enable the astronaut to return safely um, to to the Earth. So that was quite a crucial uh, bit of mathematics that needed to be worked out. And it's a great film. It's a really good film, and in many ways. But it highlights that in every story of great accomplishment, there are hidden figures. There are people who play a vital success in the story whose names we never hear, who we do not know anything at all about, but they play such a vital part in the success of the mission. And Ananias is such a man. He is our one-hit wonder for today, although I was slightly concerned because he does appear again in Acts 22, uh, and I thought, Johnny might jump up and object and make me preach on Ehud um, off the cuff. But anyway, it's not happened, so we're all right. Now William Barclay describes Ananias as one of the great unsung heroes of the early church. But I want to start by just locating him in the story. Acts, as many of you will know, is the unfolding story of Jesus' continuing ministry through the church and the church is expanding. So we started with 120 in an upper room in Jerusalem and Pentecost happened and 3,000 got converted and the church in Jerusalem grew and expanded and then we read how after persecution they went out into Judea and spread and then they went to Samaria and the gospel was preached and people were coming to faith in Samaria and now God is preparing for the next major step when uh, there's going to be the breakthrough into the Gentile world, where it's going to stop being just a renewal movement within Judaism and become a, a, a world faith, a faith that is for everyone. And God is preparing for that moment and we're getting to it. And here is a key moment in the story where Saul, who is, becomes known as Paul, is the uh, apostle to the Gentiles, the one who God has specifically called and burdened with uh, the the ministry of bringing the gospel to um, the Gentiles. And we've already met this character uh, and he he was watching on with approval as Stephen was stoned to death. And he at the beginning of the chapter is someone who is persecuting the church vigorously. Uh, He was zealous in his passion to preserve the purity of Judaism and to protect it from this, what he saw as false religion. But God had other plans for him. And as he traveled to Damascus, he encountered the Lord and that left him blinded and confused. And in Damascus, he's waiting for God to act. And this is where Ananias comes into the story. William Willimon uh, writes that Ananias functions in the story as a model of discipleship. And I want to use that idea to shape the sermon this morning. My suggestion is that to be a real success in life is to be a faithful disciple. Forget everything else. But to follow Jesus from the moment that you are (laughs) called by him into faith for the the rest of your life. And to do that faithfully, that's what a successful life looks like. No matter what headlines or non-headlines you make. Paul dominates the rest of the book of Acts. He is probably one of the most influential people in human history. If you see a list of the most influential people, Paul often appears in that list uh, as one of the most influential people who has ever lived. And Ananias is not in the top 100,000, million, 10 million. But he is the person who plays this instrumental part in shaping and forming Paul. He was obedient to God and he plays this vital role in Paul's conversion. I remember a few years ago watching Pop Idol and hearing one of the the would-be stars almost pleading with the judges and it was so pathetic. I just wanna be famous. Even if I've got no talent, I just wanna be famous. And I guess there's something within every one of us that kind of can echo with that, certainly I can that we, we want to be noticed. We somehow want our life to be seen as significant and possibly beyond that to be considered a success. And it's, you know, about 20 years ago, I, I went through a lengthy period of debilitating depression. And although there were many factors that were involved in that, many circumstances in my life at that time, There was underlying it all a sense of disappointment. I'd got to that point, that scary point in your life when you're 40. And uh, I got to that point and I was thinking to myself, this isn't quite how I thought my life was going to pan out. This isn't quite what I hoped uh, was going to happen. I hadn't been the success in ministry that I thought. I'd, and I hoped that I would be. I hadn't been given the platforms and the opportunities that, uh, that others had been given. And I was disappointed. I was disappointed. And underlying everything, there was this sense of disappointment. In fact, I, uh, on the Sunday, the last Sunday I managed to preach, before I actually had a, more or less a complete breakdown and was out of action for a good few months, I preached on Samson, and my subject was disappointment. That's what I preached on. And, um, and several people told me that was the best sermon I'd ever preached. <laughs> that was the weight, the burden that I was bearing. Disappointed. I wonder if there are people here who feel disappointed. Disappointed with what life's thrown at you. Where, where you've got Perhaps it. You perhaps know, you, you feel like the dreams that you've had have not happened. And I just want to encourage us to recognize, actually... It's about faithfulness to Jesus. As Christians, our story is to make Jesus the hero, not us the hero, to make it clear that Jesus is the success, not us. That we're living our lives so that God himself, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, will be honored and glorified. That's success when we live our lives in such a way that people will say he was faithful, she was faithful in what they did and how they pursued the Lord. So let's ask ourselves what we can learn from Ananias. The first thing that we're told about him in verse 10 is that he was a disciple. I wanted to, thats I needed to make that clear. It says believer in the New Living Translation here, but he—he he, he says uh, he was a disciple. That was the word that is used. And I just wanna, let's be clear about this. There is no distinction in the New Testament between believer and disciple. These are not two categories of Christians. If you have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he has not only saved you, but he has called you to be his disciple, to be a follower of the Lord, to to follow him. And the idea of being a disciple, which seems quite an alien concept, I guess, to many of us, was widespread in Jesus' day. It wasn't something that Jesus invented. It was there in the culture and in the context. The Greek word means literally student or learner. And this learning didn't happen in a classroom. It wasn't a classroom-based kind of learning, although it did involve teaching. They would learn literally at the rabbi's feet. But they would also follow their rabbi from place to place, watching carefully how he lived, what he did, and sharing closely in his work as he directed them. They were essentially apprentices committed to following the teacher and having their whole lives shaped by his example. There's a phrase that, that, that was used, dusty with the dust of their rabbi, which means absolutely nothing to us, but it simply means you're following so closely that the dust that is coming up from your rabbi is clean to you. That's how close you are. That's how close you are following your rabbi, dis- learning to be a disciple. And when Jesus urged people to come to him, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, that was a call to discipleship. And sometimes I think we get the context wrong because we like the idea, it's, normal, it's easy. But it's easy in comparison to everyone else, all the other burdens that are being laid on us. To be yoked to Jesus is to be a junior partner, learning the way with him. And this is still the invitation. Every, every one of us, every one of us who is a believer here this morning is a disciple called to follow Jesus, called to be dusty with the dust of their rabbi, following him closely. John Mark Comer says that we're all being discipled. The question is by who or what? And I think that's key. We live in contested space. We, our whole lives are lived in contested space. So there are all kinds of... Uh, uh, influences, all kinds of voices that we're hearing, and they're not all telling us the right things, but we kind of just don't get that sometimes. We, kind of, we can very easily fall into the trap of just thinking culture's neutral, <laughs> but there's nothing that's neutral. <laughs> Everything is contested. And, I, 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 you know, as I've grown up, got old, I've seen some of my friends, some of the people that I grew up with, kind of fall, fall away from faith. And some of them have talked about being brainwashed. I was brainwashed when I was a child because of their Christian upbringing. And whilst undoubtedly sometimes there can be unhealthy practices, for the most part I think it's simply that there's a failure to recognize that there is no neutral space. Someone is bringing you up in some kind of idea of how the world works. Someone is teaching you a set of ethics and values. It may be your family, but I can tell you our culture is all of the time. Every TV program that you watch is sending you a message and giving you all kinds of information. Adverts, the same. All of these things are shaping us and forming us. We live in contested space, and discipleship recognizes that. So here's the baseline We are disciples. Are we faithful and fruitful? Are we intentionally pursuing the habits and practices of a disciple? Are we doing that personally? Are we doing that together? Because we need one another. We need, as, as churches, to be committed to the making of disciples above all things. That's what we're called to do. And there are three dimensions to that formation. There's the upward, so we have to invest in our relationship with God. We, we need personal relationship with God. We need to have personal habits and that's going to suit your lifestyle. You can't all be spending three hours a day like Johnny praying and th- three days a week fasting and all that kind of thing. You might only have 10 minutes. But we need to find in the space in our, t- in our day to invest in our relationship with God, to be those who are reading God's Word, to be those who are praying, bringing those things, bringing those things in our own lives, in our families' lives, the immediate concerns that we have. We need to be working on the... Inward, if you like, the stuff that's about our relationships with one another within the church. How much of what Paul writes or how much of what is written in the New Testament is about relationships within the community of God's people? About the attitudes that we need to have, the, the respect that we need to have. You know, prefer one another in love. Consider others better than yourselves. These are things that are written in the New Testament, but how much of it are them are things that characterize our attitudes and the, the life that we live with one another? And within discipleship also, there's that outward to the world. We're on mission. God's called us to be people on mission. We have a a call to be witnesses to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are witnesses. It's the same thing, isn't it? Somehow or other, we're either witnesses to the fact that this really matters, or you know, it matters to me, but I don't think it really needs to bother you, or I'm really embarrassed about this and I don't want you to know anything about it, on the other hand. We're witnessing to something in some way if we're known to be but followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the dimensions of discipleship. In Acts 22, we learn that Ananias had been formed in his discipleship. He was devout. He was schooled in Scripture. And I want to encourage us all to take seriously this call to be formed as disciples of Jesus. It doesn't happen by accident. To be a disciple means to choose day by day that I am going to follow Jesus, I'm going to live the pattern of the life of Jesus. I love the, 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 the summary that John Mark Comer has of discipleship, I think he nicked it from someone else, but it, it, <laughs> I heard it from him, that a disciple is someone who is with Jesus, is becoming like Jesus, and does what Jesus did. That's what we are, we're with Jesus, we're becoming like Jesus, and we do what Jesus did. So think about your personal formation. Think about your corporate formation. How am I growing? How am I intentionally choosing to follow Jesus, to learn what it means to follow Jesus? Now the second thing to notice about Ananias in verse 11 was that he was available and listening. In in the first place, this suggests that he was in a living relationship with God. Discipleship is about living relationship. It's not a set of rules, it's a relationship. Ananias had learned to hear the voice of God so that when God spoke to him, he heard and he listened and he, and, and he acted. This is the privilege of every believer. God wants to speak to you. He wants, you know, it's not just that he wants to speak to Johnny and then Johnny brings what God's saying. He wants to speak to you day by day, moment by moment. You know, I was thinking about this just before. You know, if, if Paul said, pray continuously, Then the the other side of praying is listening, isn't it? (laughs) Listening continuously. Listen continuously. Pray continuously. Hear what God's saying. As far as we know, Ananias had no position among the believers. Nothing to set him apart. He was a faithful disciple. That was his only qualification for, for God saying to him, Ananias, go to Paul. Go to Saul. And at this point, I want to say to myself, Physician, heal thyself. Because I wonder how many times I have grieved or quenched the Holy Spirit by not acting on the whisper of God, by not acting on something that is the Holy Spirit just nudging me or pointing me, talk to that person, do that, do that for that person, give that person a a phone call. How many times have I heard that and not done it? More times than I would care to count. God speaking to us is part of our privilege in Christ. It may be through a sermon, it may be as we read the Bible, it may be a gentle whisper, a dream, or a vision, or just an idea that pops into our head. But are we listening in expectation that God wants to speak to you, that he wants to speak to you this week, he wants to speak to you tomorrow, that he wants to nudge and prompt you uh, towards saying something or encouraging someone or whatever it might be? He wants to use us in his story. We may not even be a footnote in the story, but he wants to use us in his story, the story of his church, as it, as, as it moves towards that time when Christ returns. He wants to use you in the story here in Spring Mount, here in Barrow and Furnace. And perhaps you've sensed God saying, get involved in this or talk to Johnny about that, and you haven't acted on it. You have kind of rationalized it away. Perhaps you're saying, well, I'm just too busy. Uh, Perhaps you're saying, I'm not good enough. Now, I couldn't possibly do that. Ananias questioned what God was saying to him. We have a whole conversation that he has with him. He basically says, you've heard how dangerous this bloke is. Don't send me there." You know, are you sure that that's what you want me to do, God? We're allowed to have that conversation. We are allowed to have that conversation. But I just want to encourage us. God has a purpose for you. He has a a purpose for your life. And it might not make the headlines, but it will bring you joy. It will bring you joy. Ananias went, so availability without obedience is pointless. So he was listening, but then he obeyed. That's the key. That's the thing that I wonder when I how often I've quenched the Holy Spirit, that I've listened, I've heard, and then I've thought, nah, explain that away. It's too late. I've left it too long. Whatever. There may be, as I've said, a period of questioning, but ultimately we have to obey. That's what disciples do. In the end... Sometimes these things aren't very spectacular. I just share this story because I because I want to just say it's kind of ordinary, really. Uh, When I was the pastor in church in Redcar, um, we um, we had a ministry with Cap, and we just started this ministry with Cap. And one of our daughters was working for Cap, and uh, we were having coffee one day, and she said, "Dad, you know what goes really well with Cap? Food bank." And I'm kind of like, going, nah, no, 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 no. It's been hard enough to persuade them to, to do CAP. We're not going to try and do food bank as well. And so she's 23. She doesn't know what she's talking about. And, um, and uh, about a week later, I was sat at home, and the phone rang. And uh, I picked it up. And I'm not kidding you. The opening sentence was, I'm ringing you because I want you to set up a food bank in (laughs) Redcar. And uh, it's kind of like, God must be speaking. Now this is not a vision, this is not a dream, this is a conversation with my daughter and I have plenty of them. She's always giving me ideas or telling me what I should do. And then just a phone call, just someone saying, I don't know any other church leaders in Redcar and I'm just ringing you saying, you should do this. We need you to do this. And what did obedience look like? Well, I want to tell you, I delegated that as quickly as I possibly could. (laughs) But there's a food bank in Redcar. I've been one for 10 years. Now, it's not, in that sense, it's not rocket science. So we should be under no illusion and also we should be under no illusion that obedience can be risky there's no guarantee of success not all people are receptive not all doors are open sometimes we're going to obey and we think well what have I obeyed for? this hasn't really worked out they weren't very receptive I invited them around for a meal they didn't want to come there is being obedient doesn't necessarily guarantee that it's going to be successful that everyone's going to respond it doesn't excuse us from disappointment Ananias obeyed and that is what we're called as disciples to do. And finally, and you'll be glad to hear that word, Stella in verse seventeen, Ananias came to Saul and he greeted him. And his words are lovely. Some of the commentators, brother Saul, despite the fact that I know that you have murdered loads and loads of my mates, brother Saul, you're one of us. God's worked in my life. Here he is, simply in obedience to God, Ananias greets the persecutor as his brother, part of his family, and he ministers to him. He places his hands on him, and in Acts 22, it says that he just spoke, see, and he did. He passes on God's word to him, you're going to be the apostle to the Gentiles, and he baptized him. He ministered to him, that's what he did, he, fought, he invested in him, and here is a vital part of what it means to be called as a disciple we are to minister to one another (laughs) we are to minister to one another we are to be disciples and we are to make disciples it's what disciples do I, I think part of being intentional in discipleship is to form different discipling relationships we need peers who walk with us, people who are at the same kind of stage on the journey we just walk with, we enjoy their company, we're growing together in faith. We need those who are ahead of us on the journey. It's really nice when we, we, we can be in a friendship with someone who we know is further on, is in a closer, more intimate relationship with God than we are. And... We should also be encouraging others. We should be looking out for people who we can get alongside and encourage and, and take under our wing. And it's interesting how those relationships change. I have a relationship with a lad in, uh, who was in our church. He's not a lad anymore. He's 35. Um, but he came to the church when he was 15 from a non-Christian background and became a Christian. And now he's uh, doing some pioneering stuff in South Yorkshire. And uh, he, he, for whatever reason, and I've never quite understood it, sort of like keeps ringing me and wants to meet up and takes me to see Barrow play, which is torture for him and joy for me, Um, and uh, does these kind of things for us. And the relationship dynamics change is changing all the time because now he's 35 and he's really in connection with culture. He knows how to reach people in a way that this 59 year old guy who grew up in church has no clue. And so is the dynamics changing now. I want to listen to him, I want to hear from him because he's, he's seen people converted in, in contexts. So we need to be intentional in seeking out these relationships, people from whom we learn, people with whom we walk, and people who we nurture. And it's not for the specialists, but it's for all of us. We all need other people. It's how we grow, how we learn, listen to their experience. And you might think, I've got nothing to pass on to anyone. I only know one thing. Well, find someone who knows no things and pass on the thing that you know. It's so sure away because then they're going to want to know more and then you're going to have to go away and find out some more. This is how we grow. Really, you know, there is no such thing as a one-hit wonder. We're all special. God has a purpose for each of us. He wants to make us like his son Jesus. He's prepared good works for us to do. Not necessarily eye-catching works, but good works. Prepared for all of us. I notice these verses in 1 Thessalonians 4 verses 11 and 12. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. There's a manifesto. That's a manifesto of discipleship. That's actually what we're all called to do. To be faithful where God has put us. To be faithful within the church that we're in. And to be faithful within our families, in our workplaces, in our community. Just extending the influence that God gives us. Sharing what God has given us. This is our call. Being a disciple is for ordinary people doing ordinary things. But I want to say that I, I believe that there is no greater joy... Than faithful discipleship so my question as I close is this what is Jesus saying to you this morning, what's the Lord Jesus saying to you this morning what's the next step what's the thing that I might need to take on, a practice that I might need to do what's the conversation that I might need to have, who's the person that God's calling me just to get alongside with a word of encouragement who are they let's pray Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for Ananias that he was obedient to you. We thank you that he heard you and he responded to you. We thank you, Lord, that you used him in such a significant way in the conversion of of Saul. And, Lord, for the extension of the church across the world as a result of that one conversion. And we thank you, Lord, that... As ordinary as we are, Lord, you call us. You call us to do good works. You've prepared those things for us in advance. And we pray, Lord, that now through the work of your Holy Spirit, you'll just be speaking to us, reminding us, urging us to be intentional in our desire to follow you. Lord, we pray that we will be with you, abiding in you. Lord, that we will become like you. That you will transform us so that we become like you. And that we will do the things that you do. Lord, even in the orderliness of our lives, that we will see and sense the opportunities that you are giving us. Lord, by your Holy Spirit work. And I pray for this church. And I pray that this will be a church in which disciples are being made, Lord Jesus. Lord, thank you for all that is already happening, the growth that is already there in people's lives, but I pray that you will cause it to grow. And uh, Lord, impact more and more people, we pray. Lord, not only those who are here, but those who are yet to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Lord, we pray this in your precious holy name, the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.